Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me David Wolverton, also known as David Farlin, author extraordinaire, award-winning, best-selling author, um, name it, he's done it, um, variety of different genres, and I'm excited for him to be on the, the podcast today. Dave, go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of give us a little background story on you. Okay. Well, I'm uh, I'm David Farland. I've been writing now for, gosh, about 30 years, I guess. Um, I started out as a, a prize writer when I was younger. Uh, won the uh, L. Ron Hubbard Writers of the Future back in 1987 and uh, won the grand prize and got my first novel contract. Um, my first book was uh, came out in 1989 from Bantam Books. Uh, won the Philip K. Dick Award as one of the best science fiction novels of the year. I went on and I kept on writing. That kind of set the tone for my career. I started working in other things. I, I did a, my first Star Wars novel in 1993. About that time, I also uh, became a judge for the Writers of the Future and became the lead judge in 1993. Uh, from there, I kept on writing. Uh, did my Star Wars, became a bestseller, started working in video games, wrote a game called StarCraft's Brood War that became very popular for a bit. And uh, actually it's still played in, in the last rounds of the world's championship for video game playing. Uh, okay. Then from there, I went to Hollywood and became a green lighting analyst. Along that uh, time, I started teaching writing workshops or there's teaching, I should say, well, writing workshops originally with Writers of the Future, and then I started teaching uh, creative writing at Brigham Young University. I trained a number of people who've gone on to become huge bestsellers themselves. Brandon Sanderson, who did The Wheel of Time. Stephanie Meyer was in my class at BYU. About that time, 1998, I, uh, I was asked by my publishers at uh, Scholastic to help them choose a book to push big. For the coming year i chose the book harry potter and then designed the marketing campaign uh, the basics of it for them uh, and so uh, we decided how to advertise it where to advertise it uh, that kind of thing so that it would take off um, we'd never had a book that had been a, a new york times bestseller to come from the middle grade before so uh, that was a pretty big deal to turn it into a number one bestseller uh, and then we uh after that uh, i started my Rune Lord series. Uh, that went on and became a New York Times bestselling series. Uh, I went to Hollywood and worked as a green lighting analyst for a while. Uh, right now, I am <laughs> still working as the coordinating judge for the Writers of the Future. It's now become, I think, maybe the largest writing contest in the world, certainly one of them. And just other things like that. I guess I could go on for longer, but uh, I feel like I've gone on too long. Uh, anyway, uh, so, you know, I, I've uh, written uh, video games, worked in video game design, worked in uh, books, uh, done a little bit of screenwriting, uh, worked as a green lighting analyst, and uh, uh, just a number of different things. So I, I like doing that. Nowadays, um, I'm uh, still working as the lead judge for Writers of the Future, but I also run a large international writing group so that if people are interested in writing uh, and they need to be in a writing group, then uh, this is a good place to come. I, I tried to design it so that um, it, it's, you, can, you can do what you want in it, I guess is the easy way to put it. You know, If you feel like you need to get a, uh, critiques from other people, you can get into a critique group. If you just need to uh, have people to help push you, then you can get into an accountability group. Um, and that type of thing. And so we have a, a really nice writing group and that's that's pretty much it. I'm teaching a big class called 318R. Uh, I'm, I decided that it would be fun to teach my old class at Brigham Young University. So I decided to do that. I've got about 180 students that are taking that class this semester. So- uh, Is that on, online? That's online, yeah. And uh, I got- um, I only put it up for like two and a half days and it filled up so fast. Uh, it, it actually, I wanted to have about 50 people and we got so many, I decided to open it up and, uh, but I had to close it down after two days because we just, it, it just went crazy. Wow. 
you've had a very amazing career. There's a lot of stuff to unpack on that. Um, the first one, so it sounds like you kind of cut your teeth on short stories and, and um, novelettes and novellas. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Well, when I was in when I was in uh, college, I I knew that um, I wanted to write, and it just seemed to me that uh, I took some writing classes, and they, you know, most of them were short story writing classes, and it just seemed like a good way to get your feet wet. Uh, if I were to do it again today, I don't know if I would recommend that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are some people who are natural novelists, and and they want to write in that longer form, and then other people are short story writers, so. I, I really enjoy short stories. I love writing them. I think my favorite length to write at is probably about a novella length, you know, something 70 to 100 pages. At the same time, uh, I remember when I was young and wanted to write, I kept thinking I wanted to do another Tolkien-sized novel, some, you know, huge trilogies or series or something like that. So I, I really like writing at a bunch of different lengths. Okay. I know when I was looking, and this is embarrassing because I don't have a novel out yet, but 20 years ago when I decided, okay, I want to write, I want to be a writer, every every bit of advice I got was, um, you know, write short stories, entering contests, and I seem that, like you said, nowadays, that might not be the way to go. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not in the publishing business, so what, what mm-hmm. would you think? If someone's starting well, today. Well, I, I have a lot of people I know who have started... Uh, into the novel writing business, and they started writing novels. You know, I had a young lady that was in one of my writing classes a couple of years ago, and um, uh, she just started writing a novel. I, I critiqued it for her. It just got published, made the cover of Publishers Weekly, and she came out of it doing it that way. And so I think it just depends upon what you want to write. You know, if your heart is into writing a novel, go ahead and write a novel. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I've actually tried to write short stories and I can't like it's I'm too wordy or something. I don't know. It's it's a challenge for me. That's for sure. So so in the early days, um, what were some of your writing habits and how have they evolved through time? Well, you know, when I first started, it was a matter of um, writing whenever you possibly could. Uh, I started writing and I was in college. And so um, I would write I would make sure that I took a writing class every semester at college so that I was always writing. And then uh, my, my major was in, uh, was in editing and uh, I created my own major that uh, required creative writing, editing, and um, uh, study of modern American literature. And so I created that and so that I was always writing And then when I started writing, I got chronic fatigue syndrome. I got really sick for several years and it was a struggle to get much done at all. Um, uh, Literally, uh, you know, if I could write for an hour a day, I was lucky. And then when I went back to work uh, after about three years, I would go to work and I would be lucky if I could get an hour of writing in a day after after an eight or 10 hour day at work, it became a matter of just trying to take a couple of hours a day, if you possibly could, and maybe a few hours on Saturday. And, uh, and so I might only get six or, or eight hours of, uh, of writing in per week, but that was enough to get a novel done every year and just keep it going at that flow. Nowadays, most of the authors who are doing it are on this uh, path where they're trying to get a quick turnaround and they're, you know, I've, I've got authors in my writing group who are writing, uh, well, one of them wrote 11 novels last year. Oh, wow. You know, and each of them were big 100,000 word novels. Uh, others are writing, you know, seven, eight novels. So it's not uncommon for modern writers to be trying to, to, getting, to get things out on a really quick pace. That's, that's difficult to do, especially if you haven't built up those, those writing muscles yet. Yeah, I think that's the key. Learning how to get into a sort of a writing trance so that you can so that you can do it every day, keeping your mind on your novel uh, by writing every day so that you're working on, okay, tomorrow I'm going to work on that scene. Today I did this one. Uh, I think that's the key. It, it's training your subconscious to be uh, in the writing zone. Right. And, and as you say, like if when you do it every day, I think that consistency is key. Um, and I've, I've said in other interviews and people will probably get tired of hearing this, but 
if you write only 250 to 300 words a day in a year, that's a hundred thousand words. And yeah. And not that, that it's a race or, or anything, but if you want to write a novel, be consistent in a year from now, if you begin today, like you can have something you could be proud of and, and working on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, it, it, you know, I've got a lot of people that I've trained who've been able to go out and sell their first novels and sell them for big money, you know, uh, Stephanie Meyer has made over $200 million on her, on her Twilight series. And uh, I'd like to see a few more of people do that. But for those who haven't read um, Dave Wolverton's um, book, the, the Courtship of Princess Leia, it is fantastic. And how, how did that come about? Cause I'm, I'm sure, I mean, everybody, well, most people are Star Wars fans and to write in that universe, like, did they approach you or did you come up with an idea and pitch it to them? Well, you know, I was writing for Bantam Books and um, I had just finished, I was just getting ready to finish my third book and, and I was doing, doing well at Bantam and my editor called me up and she said, how do you like Star Wars? Or, or no, she said, what do you think about Star Wars? And I said, oh, well, and I started talking to her about, you know, uh, looking at Star Wars from the hero's journey point of view and, and uh, the the major thematic elements and stuff like that. And she said, no, what I mean is, uh, what do you think about the idea of writing a Star Wars novel? And I said, well, of course. <laughs> now, at first I was like, well, let me finish up this book. You know, I, I don't want to think about it for three weeks, you know. And so I finished up this other book and uh, turned it in and uh, called her up and said, okay, it's in the mail. And she said, good. She says, now, what do you think about Star Wars? And I was like, do you want me to do this right now? And she says, yes, you know, get it in as soon as possible. So what I did was um, the process was pretty simple uh, at, in those days. Uh, you'd go ahead and you'd write up an outline and you'd send it to the editor. The editor would approve it. And, and they had the license with Lucasfilm to do it. And then they would send it to Lucasfilm and, uh, and they ran it past George Lucas and got his approval. In fact, I got a nice little uh, signature saying, great job, I'm looking forward to reading it, you know, kind of a thing. Nice. Um, and, uh, and it was a pretty easy process. They were very easy to work with. Uh, I've worked with other things like the mummy and stuff like that and I think, Overall, with uh, with the various properties I've worked with, the, the folks at Lucasfilm were just just a delight to work with. Dan, did they have like certain guidelines that you had to follow, like you can't kill Luke off or anything like that? Yeah, well, you couldn't do that, and uh, <laughs> we had to take out all the sex scenes. And uh, <laughs> no, I just um, it was it was really funny. Uh, they 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 wanted to keep away from violence. You didn't want to portray characters in a negative light you know, and that type of thing. And, um, and so it really wasn't too hard to do. Uh, I did have, I did have a couple of areas where they said, okay, you know, back away from this. Uh, for example, um, I had the witches of Dathomir, you know, who are rather, rather evil. And I had my characters trying to sneak past them to, to get into a room and they were in watching some um, porn videos or something. And, and they were like, well, let's just have that a uh, daytime drama <laughs> or something. And then there's another place where I had uh, Chewbacca rip off a witch's arm and beat her to death with it. And I just yeah, felt like, you know, hey, that was the line that was in uh, the original Star Wars movie. And and we have to show that, you know, I mean, it's like it's like putting a gun up, gun up on the wall. You know, you you can't just uh, say, OK, here's a gun on the wall and then not use it. So I wanted to show the Wookiee. Uh, uh, technique of doing that. And uh, they didn't like that. They thought that was a little bit too violent. So, you know, uh, there's a little bit, but one of the things you have to learn is that when you're writing, um, if you if you put in something objectionable, then what happens is the editors can focus on that and then leave all the good stuff alone. Uh, which is, whereas if you if you don't, you know, if you just if you just put out your best work out there, um, then, uh, uh, you know, they'll start looking with a jaundiced eye for something to fix. So you, you try to leave a couple of things for them to fix. Some low-hanging fruit. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So um, you're, you're, you're a very talented author. Why did you choose the, the speculative fiction genre to, to go in that route? And I know um, you have done some historical fiction um, with mm -hmm. um, in the Company of Angels as well. 
mm-hmm. but the majority of your career is um, science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. Well, when I started writing, I was writing uh, literary fiction and um, I enjoyed it, but I became really interested in the power of form. And, and by that, I mean telling a story, the, the opening, the ending. And, uh, and I, I really became convinced that when I started looking at my favorite stories, they were well-formed stories with beginnings and middles and ends. And, um, and I, I, I just got to the point where I sort of rebelled at the idea of writing anything but that. And I felt like in literary fiction that I probably couldn't go anywhere uh, doing the kind of thing that I wanted to do. Um, and so I, I did it as a sort of rebellion, I think, in, in part. But I had loved, um, I had loved probably Tolkien, you know, from the time that I was a, a teenager, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, probably him most of all. But I'd also, uh, you know, loved a lot, a lot of other science fiction and fantasy, um, and you know, T. H. White, and uh, and going on through Dune and. Uh, uh, a lot of other things that were out there. And so the idea of writing science fiction and fantasy just just really kind of struck me. I got to thinking about it and realized, yeah, that's what I want to do. And uh, I had one of my teachers in college uh, invite me to come speak to her class uh, after I won Writers of the Future. And, and her very first question was like, so why are you prostituting your talent by writing science fiction? And uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, if you if you aren't writing what you love, then anything that you're doing is prostituting your talent. You know, if I would have kept writing literary fiction, I think I, I would have I, I never would have really uh, felt like I enjoyed myself at it. So uh, you just have to write what you love. So what were some of the stories you, you mentioned Tolkien and Dune, but outside of science fiction and fantasy genre, like what are some other uh, stories that influenced you? Well, I think uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, Hundred Years of Solitude was uh, was one that I loved. Um, I had loved um, uh, Carlos Castaneda's work, uh, The Journey to Ixland, and uh, uh, some of these things that were, uh, you know, from there. Um, I I was a big fan. I would say of uh, a number of of older writers. A huge Hemingway fan, um, but also. Um, Things like the Grapes of Wrath, you know, uh, Steinbeck. Uh, I, I think Steinbeck was probably one of my favorite overall writers, but there's so many. And then we get into poetry. I had a lot of poets that I've uh, really admired. So, uh, and and there were so many that it's kind of, it's hard to, to list them all. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, now, this is kind of a loaded question, but um, any contemporary um, authors now that you find inspiration in? Now, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's it's kind of funny because um, I don't look at contemporaries quite the same way, but I, I was really impressed. Recently, I read uh, uh, John Green's um, The Fault in Our Stars, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really admire, I, I'll just put it this way. There's a lot of writers that I still like. Uh, when I read writers, I, I generally, uh, I won't read them unless I like them, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so there's, there's a lot, but, uh, I spend so much time reading professionally, editing people's books and reading short stories and stuff. I don't get a whole lot of time to read just for pleasure anymore. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask if you did. Um, that's kind of why it was a loaded question. Cause you, you read a lot. I mean, being a judge for, um, the writers of the future contest and, 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 uh, and, you know, your classes that you teach and stuff, I'm sure you, you read a ton. So let's kind of skip forward in your career in the, the Rune Lords books. Um, the magic system in that is, is one of a kind. Um, how did you come up with that? And, and how did that story kind of gen- generate? Well, you know, I, I was, um, when I wrote my first book, it was a, a kind of a cyberpunk uh, Latin American piece. And my, my editor asked, you know, okay, well, now that you've done this, what do you want to do for your next book? And I said, I want to do a big fantasy novel, you know, sort of a Lord of the Rings kind of thing. And she said, well, you're, uh, you're a, a best-selling science fiction writer. You've gotten farther with one book than most people get in 20 years of writing, you know? And I said, okay. And she said, we don't want any fantasy from you. We want science fiction. So I, uh, 
I started doing that. And after a couple of years, I realized I had, after a little bit, I realized I'd been writing for about 10 years and hadn't started my fantasy. So for my birthday, I decided to write a fantasy book and give it to myself. And so um, I wrote, uh, I, I started thinking about the Rune Lords and um, I knew I wanted to have a different kind of magic system. And I, I went through and I looked at all of the magic systems in books and almost all of them were based upon various mythologies, okay? Either taking uh, Greek mythology or Roman mythology or Native American mythologies or, you know, something along that line. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I felt like, wow, we've got the most creative people in the world and they aren't making up their own magic systems. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's something wrong there. And so I, I had been talking to an employee and uh, he had done some work for me and he wanted to be paid like $10 an hour. And I told him I thought it was more at least $25 an hour, you know, for doing it. And uh, anyway, it got me thinking about, you know, when people give the best part of themselves to a boss, what do they deserve in return? And, uh, and I, I had been thinking about that and I'd been thinking about new magic systems and, uh, and I'd been thinking deeply for about a year about what I wanted to do. And, uh, anyway, I was back in Scotland and I was driving with a friend and, uh, all of a sudden he says, you know, could you imagine what this would have looked like 10,000 years ago or, or, or 2000 years ago? And I remember reading a, uh, a piece by a Roman general who was complaining about how terrible it was there, uh, 2000 years ago. He said, last night, uh, we had 42 men eaten by wolves the night before that it was 38, you know? And uh, anyway, he was going on, he says, and the only thing worse than the wolves in these damn woods are those Scots, you know, <laughs> and uh, anyway, I thought, okay, that's great. Um, and, and as I was thinking about that, all of a sudden, the whole magic system for the Rune Lords just came into my mind. I don't know exactly how to explain it. It felt like it was just downloading or something. Um, and I sat down and thought about it for about three days I kind of worked it out. Uh, almost like I was working out a new gaming system. I had done some game design. And so it kind of came naturally to think about it in those terms. Uh, but then that just led to the plots of the book. Uh, and so I, I looked at the, the various plots and subplots and I outlined it probably in about three days and started writing. How long did it take you to write that first draft? Oh, gosh, I think it took me... I'm going to say that I think it took about six or seven months to write the first draft. Uh, I was I was writing on other things, I think, at the time. And I just had this nice little, uh, a couple of months where I, I felt like I could dedicate a lot of time to doing it. And so it all kind of came together really pretty quickly and smoothly. And, and uh, the plot just, like I said, it just seemed to, it just seemed to flow and uh, worked pretty well. It's an amazing book, um, The Sum of All Man. And as you were writing it, were you just like, oh, man, this is gold. I can't wait till this gets out because it's going to it's gonna rock some people's minds. Like, does that go through or do you, are you like more like, oh, man, this is horrible. Like, I can't believe I'm continuing on. Like, it is stream it ends I, there. I remember when I got the idea, I remember thinking, this is a really cool magic system. This is, this is worth this book is worth a million dollars, you know? And then I thought, no, actually there's more than one book and it's worth several million dollars, you know? And, um, and I've made uh, a, at least a couple million dollars, you know, on Rune Lord's books now. Um, and I, I think there's probably a lot more to come, you know, I'm hoping that we'll get into video games. And uh, we did have uh, Warner Brothers at one point was interested in doing a movie and, you know, so uh, someday that'll all come around, I imagine. They usually like to wait till you're dead so that they. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that doesn't happen as far as waiting until you're dead before that happens. Cause I would love to see, um, I don't know if a movie would do it justice. I think with, um, streaming services now, I think, um, more, more along that line would, would be better to tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking to a couple of places, uh, about the possibility of doing a TV series. You know, the problem is, is that it's a big fantasy series. They're pretty expensive to do. Yeah. And getting the special effects right and things like that would, would be hard, you know. 
So I, I looked at doing a big movie series and I think that we could do it that way, but the cost of doing a big movie uh, for the Rune Lords would be right around $90 million, uh, just, you know, in the low numbers. And, and, uh, and so that's, that's a pretty significant amount of money uh, to put into a, an investment. Let's go back to back up a little bit in your career and your, you, you wrote for, um, did Starcraft come out then around mid nineties? Yeah, I did that one. And, uh, I think it was 97. Yeah. How, um, how much, um, how different is it to write for that than, than a novel how, or how similar? Well, I, I had, uh, I'd actually just finished the Rune Lords, uh, the first, the sum of all men, the first book in the Rune Lords. And, uh, and I'd sent it into my publisher and had got it published. And I, I was interested in doing a Rune Lords video game. And so there was a little company that I read about in the Sunday newspaper that made video games in our neighborhood. And uh, so I, I went down and introduced myself and said, I'm interested in doing video games. I'm an author. I gave them a copy of the Rune Lords manuscript. Uh, and uh, they, the president of the company called me up the next day and said, you really are a writer, okay? We didn't, we didn't really expect this. And so um, he asked, you know, he says, how are you at writing proposals? And I said, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I'd helped a lot of professors write proposals at BYU as part of my uh, job as an editor there and um, had helped them bring in millions of dollars. So I, I wrote up the proposal for StarCraft we actually had a fellow there who did a first draft. Uh, they had they had already been starting it, but I went through and helped them uh, finish a first draft. And and he said, okay, if we get this, you know, you're going to need credits as a uh, game developer. And so um, he says, if we get this, uh, we'll have you uh, come in and work as a, a video game designer. And uh, I said, okay. And we sent it in, and and within a few hours. Uh, we ended up getting approved for doing the StarCraft video game. Uh, and, uh, and so literally the very next day, I went and started doing it. And it's a collaborative effort. It's a lot different from writing alone. You know, you, you go into a room and my job as a, a designer was um, they wanted to have a game that was very well balanced so that no matter which team you played on, whether you were humans or Zerg or whatever, uh, you know, you could go in and play the game and have a, a good chance of winning. And so it was a matter of um, me coming up with new creature designs and new spaceships and new uh, weapons and stuff like that uh, with the idea of balancing the game really well, which is why it became so popular with gamers. Um, because, you know, once it, once it started getting played in the final round for the World Video Game Championship, I think we... We showed that it really was probably the best balanced game that we could have could have made. Right, I like that the you know working as a team, um, bringing out the best, and you know not only developing creatures and and spaceships, but you also have to get you know it's a video game, but you kind of have to have the science right on each of that to make it make sense. So I mean, there's a lot of research that goes into that. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I had been writing science fiction and. I was already the judge for the largest science fiction contest in the world at the time. So, um, you know, I, I kind of had the science down. I was a pre-medical microbiology major uh, before I decided to become a writer. So, uh, so I've, I've been kind of a science nerd my whole life. Yeah, that helps a lot, especially if you're writing science fiction. And I'm yeah. sure there's lots of things that transfer over to fantasy writing as well. Yeah, you know, I like to write fantasy uh, kind of as if I were writing science fiction. Uh, and by that, I mean, when I started designing the world for the Rune Lords, um, you know, I had things in mind that I wanted to do that, you know, for example, my characters aren't completely human. Uh, and, and you don't know that when you read the books. Mm -hmm. But I could even tell you, you know, why they're different, what the difference is, and, and some things like that. And once I said it, you know, people would kind of go, oh, of course. Um, but, you know, the fact that their gravity is only 0.97 of what it is here on Earth and, you know, things like that. When we get into the world building, uh, 
you don't know that their day is a few minutes longer than ours or that the mass of the planet is larger and stuff like that. Um, but it's really fun to think in those terms, you know, because you can create a, a scientifically stable fantasy world. And, uh, and so, for example, when I get my creatures and you get uh, a little creature called the Farron, you know, and, uh, and we mentioned that, that these are marsupials, we don't ever mention that the Froth giants are marsupials too, and uh, that they are cousins to the Farron and, and they're just, you know, almost like Farron that are blown up into monsters, you know? So I get to play with things like that. Or when I get into developing the underworld, I created um, some different creatures in the underworld that evolved separately from creatures above the earth. And so the idea was making a science fiction world uh, within my fantasy world, I guess is what I wanted to do with it. That's fantastic. And when you do that, you get to say, okay, if this stays longer, what does it mean? You know, then it's, you, you get to play around with that. And, and it's a domino effect. Like, what you know, you can kind of just kind of go on and, and do that. So that yeah. takes a lot of time to develop something yeah. like that. I, yeah, when I, when I started doing the Rune Lords, I, I wanted the idea. I mean, the first Rune Lords book is set in the Kingdom of Harridan. And, and it's sort of like, it's sort of like England. And, uh, and I, I thought, you know, I want, I want people to read this and to think it's like other fantasies until you get deeper into it and realize it's not like any other fantasy. Um, and I, I think I did that. I think people got into it. And by the second book, they're like, whoa, you know, this is different, you know. Um, but what, what it comes down to is that um, that's probably a mistake. I think it would have been better now to go back and say, I want to make this so different from any other fantasy that when you start reading it, you go, whoa, okay. <laughs> and I think people would have talked about it a little bit more and said, yeah, this is, this is different from any other fantasy. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think that's exactly what I want to go for it. Cause I wanted that strong sense of wonder. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'm still playing with it. I'm just finishing up the last book in the series now. And uh, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I am too. Um, and it sounds like the, the mid to late 90s were very busy for you because about that time you started teaching and um, Scholastic was asking you about what book to promote. So yeah. does does J.K. Was, Rowling send you money every every month? Cause... <laughs> I wish. Uh, you know. <laughs> no, she, um, you know, I I came up with the idea on how to promote the book, but then she she did something that was pretty amazing, quite frankly. You know, she she got a um, kind of a little scholarship for her first book so that she could go write her second book. And so she took that money and went and wrote her second book. But then she wrote the third book with that same scholar. She just went crazy. And so we, we created this campaign to promote her big in 1999. And then she went and turned in two novels just before we did. And so all of a sudden, instead of promoting one novel big, we're promoting three books really big. And, uh, and that just, you know, that just blew things out of the water. All of a sudden, she's on national TV and, and has huge fan clubs everywhere. And, you know, uh, it just it just went ballistic, it kind of helped set her up for success. But she's the one who, who grabbed the ball and ran with it. Okay, I'll put it that way. And she's She's a genius, quite frankly. I mean, when you when you study her, I think she's maybe the best audience analyst out there, the, the best natural writer who can look at an audience and say, what will please my audience? Uh, I don't think there's any, been anybody better. Uh, and, and I'm going back to Shakespeare, you know, and saying, no, nobody's ever done it as well as she does. And, and I can show you how uh, that's true if we were to sit down and take a couple of hours and dissect Harry Potter and some of her books. Right. Well, let's let's talk about that just just briefly. Like you got sent a whole bunch of books by Scholastic and that stood out more than anything. Like what were some of the things that as you're reading the first couple of chapters that you were like, this this is what you need to do? Like, OK, well, first, first of all, when you um, when when you're looking for a book to promote big First thing I look for is, does it transport you to another world? And so, you know, this took us to the land of Hogwarts. And so that was the, that was the big thing. Uh, just a, a book that takes you there 
usually they're longer books that do it. The ones that transport you the best usually require a little extra time. Second thing I looked for was, was it written to a wide audience? Okay, if you remember when Harry Potter started out, uh, it starts out with Dumbledore coming down the street and uh, using his wand to turn off the street lights. And then he talks to, Miss, talks to Mrs. McGonagall about this little boy that uh, killed uh, Lord Voldemort. And, uh, and they're afraid that there may be some witches who will come after him. And so what I'm looking for is one written to a wide audience, male, female, old, and young. And it starts out with an old male, goes to old female, then it goes to the young male. And then we start uh, in the second chapter, we meet Hermione, so we get to the young female. So I wanted to make sure that it, it played to all of those audiences. And um, I gave the book to my wife, a 30, you know, 32-year-old woman. And, uh, and then we had a daughter who was, uh, I guess we were, she's closer to 35. We had a daughter that was uh, 10 at the time, and she started reading it. And so pretty soon they were both fighting over the book. And I said, good, young female, old female, they like them. I read it and uh, felt like she nailed the young male audience. And, uh, and then, of course, I already felt that she'd gotten, uh, gotten the older audience uh, from right from the beginning. So that was the second thing. Third thing is, uh, is there a powerful emotional climax, you know, on a, it doesn't hit high on what I call the emotional Richter scale. Uh, and what I look for is the number, since this is a book about wonder, uh, how much of a sense of wonder does it evoke? And, you know, in every single room at Hogwarts, you know, whether you're walking past pictures that look at you or on a staircase that suddenly starts moving or go into a potion room where there's pixies, you know, there's something wondrous happening. And so the tremendous power of wonder in there. And then next thing I look for is, does she hit the right emotional beats for kids that she's trying to write to? For kids that are uh, 12 year old kids, the, the beats that she wants to hit are wonder, humor, horror, and adventure. And she does them all perfectly, along with mystery as the distant, distant fifth. Um, and so uh, all of those are very powerful emotional beats. So she did that perfectly. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, uh, I look at those things and, and those are, and then the last thing that a, a book needs to be, to, to have to go big is money. Uh, it has to have somebody investing in it so it can be properly distributed. And that's what Scholastic did. You know, when I talked to them, I knew that the cost of promoting Harry Potter uh, big was going to be millions of dollars. And, you know, the question in my mind was, are you willing to put it in? You know, if you're not willing to put it in, it's just idle talk. But they were willing to, they were willing to do it, you know. Those, those five things are fantastic tips for anybody. Um, and, and you wrote... Um... A book, the the power of resonance, and mm -hmm. you 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 speak about that. Not only that, but um, simple things like the color blue. Um, you know, you talked about um, Avatar and how we. One of the reasons why that was so successful is because you know the color blue is is. I don't remember exactly. It's like an emotional thing, and and you can relate to it or something like that. Well, it's a, it's the favorite color for seventy percent of people. Yeah, you know, so it's it's the natural skin color for your protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, let's, let's move up. You, you become a BYU professor and you have these, these kids that, that want to become, uh, novelists and authors, you know, some, you know, big names now, but they weren't then. Did you see, did you know at that time, like, oh yeah, Brandon's going to be huge or Stephanie's going to be huge or were there stuff just like normal everyday first type novels? Well, when, when, uh, I took the class uh, and I started teaching the class. I came home the first day and my wife said, well, did you find any great writers? And I said, yes, I found three of them. And uh, she said, did you read any of their stuff? And I said, no. And, uh, and she says, well, how could you possibly know that they would be great writers? And I said, because they asked the right questions. And, uh, and so she said, so what are their names? And I said, well, there's Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, and then there's one I'm worried about because he's going to inherit a whole bunch of money and he's going to go off and go into the construction business. And, and that's exactly what he did. Um, but uh, I, I had a sense, I guess, is the easy way to put it, that when I meet somebody, um, 
I, I can see the passion in their eyes and I can see the intelligence and I can listen to their questions. And Stephanie Meyer, um, for example, was probably one of my favorites uh, at BYU. I've never told her this, but but uh, she was she was so passionate about her writing and she was always taking notes. And uh, and one day uh, we had a little argument about what was the most important thing in stories, you know. And I was saying, you know, the most important thing in stories is to make sure that you entertain your audience. And she was like, well, what about the transmission of culture? And I'm like. Well, if nobody wants to read your story, you're not going to transmit any culture. <laughs> you know? but, I, but what I loved about her was that she uh, she was willing to argue about it, and and she made a very she made quite frankly a brilliant argument, and it's one that um, yeah, it, you, it kind of goes back and forth, which is more important, you know, uh, writing something with the proper depth and and uh, and everything, or writing something that appeals to people. And I think you, you have to do both. Well, I think one thing that, I mean, I'm sure Brandon had learned a ton from you, but one thing that he kind of grabbed on hold and grabbed onto and kind of took it on his own was magic systems. Like yeah. pe- people have quoted, you know, Brandon's law of magic and, and, you know, you're the, you're the, your father, you're the father of that really. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon came in when he started the class, he said he wanted to learn magic systems. He says, you know, I've, he said, I've read the Rune Lords. He says, I want to learn how to do magic systems like you. So we talked a lot about that. And when he wrote his first short story, it was the first chapter to his novel Elantris that he wrote. Uh, and I, I told him then, I said, if you keep writing like this, not only will I give you an A in the class, I'll also give you a cover quote for your first novel. And uh, so he got an A in the class and he got his cover quote for the first novel. And, um, and then I called him up and we started going on tours together. And we would go along the, the West Coast, go through California and Oregon and Washington, and then come back down around through Idaho and Utah. And we talked for endless hours about magic systems and writing. And, and uh, we did that once a year for several years in a row, uh, probably six or seven years in a row. Um, and I think that was a great time to, to just really solidify uh, a lot of principles on writing. And, and Brandon's gone on and has become a great writing teacher himself. After I went to Hollywood, uh, I recommended him for the job at BYU, and, and he's still there teaching. Yeah, and he's been so generous to, to put his classes online that people that can't take the class and not have an opportunity, they, they can watch it. So <clears throat> I think he also has looked to you for for that um, generosity because you're you've always been so kind anytime I've met you and, and talked with you that you know he's kind of followed in that footstep so thanks for being a good example to him and everybody else <laughs> yeah well I was going to try to teach him to be a pompous ass but I don't know <laughs> <able> to manage it <laughs> don't, don't want to be like that huh <laughs> yeah yeah now he's 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 always been a, a very generous and and uh, and decent person you know kind of been the perfect the perfect student, perfect writer. Do you remember what some of the questions him and Dan Wells would have asked on that first day that you thought was so perfect, just out of curiosity? Well, I remember thinking really hard about what I wanted to tell people when I went in. And, um, and I, I walked into the class and, uh, and I, I made sure that the first words out of my mouth, I said, you can be a writer. I remember Brandon and Dan both just kind of moved forward in their chairs. Like I wanted to hear that, you know? And then I said, you can be a writer. And then I said, you can be a writer. And then I basically gave my argument as to what it takes to be a writer and say, you know, there's a lot of people who say, oh, you can't do it. Writers don't make any money. It's, you know, they're, they're dreamers. And, and I just said, this is how much money I make. I'm not a big writer, you know, but I'm making a hundred thousand a year, uh, very easily. And here's, here's a bunch of my friends. They're all doing the same and here's how you do it. And I said, I'm going to teach you all about that in this class. I want to prepare you to be writers, to be professional writers. I don't want you screwing around and pretending that you're going to write someday or anything like that. We're just going to get you started right now. And uh, anyway, as we started doing that, then they started asking questions like, okay, uh, if you want to be a writer, what do you do? And when I talked to Brandon, you know, it was very practical questions, you know, uh, uh, 
I read the first chapter of Elantris and I said, okay, uh, we need to get you writing books, you know, and I said, and he says, oh, I've written six books already. And uh, I said, okay, uh, in that case, we need to get you to a convention. And he says, oh, I can't do that. Uh, and I said, why not? And he says, well, I've got a job. And I said, is there anybody that can cover for you for a weekend? And he said, well, yeah, I've got a brother who works at the same hotel. He can cover for me. And I said, great. And I said, uh, so we're going to have you fly to New York, you know, in four weeks and uh, go to this big uh, convention and meet some editors. And he said, uh, well, I, I can't do that. And I said, do you have a credit card? And he said, yeah. And uh, he says, it's got a $500 limit. And I said, so great, because I just found out it's $286 for a round trip airfare. And uh, I've got these three friends that are looking for somebody to split a hotel room. And, uh, and that won't leave you any money for food, but um, we can go ahead and pack you some sandwiches and some peanut butter and stuff. And, uh, and that'll take care of you for a weekend. And uh, anyway, so, you know, he was very practical. He did it. You know, and when he did, he went and talked to the man who ended up becoming his agent. And uh, it took a year till the guy read his manuscript and went, whoa, <laughs> okay, this is a real writer. Um, but, uh, but that ended up becoming the, the first step in making his career. And, and that's the thing. There are some people when you can tell them, okay, this is what you do, and then they won't do it. And then there's other people, if you just say, this is how, how you do it. Uh, they'll go do it. You know, with Stephanie Meyer, she said, how do I write the best-selling young adult novel of all time? So we sat down and, and brainstormed Twilight, you know, uh, what ended up becoming Twilight. And I said, it's going to be about a 16-year-old girl who moves into an interesting new neighborhood, and she meets a boy who has unusual powers, and it's going to uh, cross between uh, a strong cross between wonder and romance. And uh, anyway, we, we sat down and she said, well, I, I moved to Forks, Washington when I was 16. And, uh, and I've always thought vampires would be cool. And so she sat down and, you know, I, I gave her some very broad strokes and then she went through and narrowed them down and put them within her own framework and, uh, and went and wrote the novel and, uh, and it just took off. And I I think that's the key. <laughs> you know, you got to put in the work. And I love that story with, with Brandon. Um, that's a lot of hardship to, to go through, you know, not having food and, and doing that and, and going through that, you know, not knowing anybody. He had to put himself out there. Um, yeah. and, and, and two, Brandon, I think Elantris came out in 2005. Um, mm -hmm. And he was in the same class as Dan Wells. Dan Wells' novel, I Am Not a Serial Killer, didn't come out until I think 2009 or 2010, something like that. And, and they were always supportive of each other. You know, they started the podcast, um, the writing excuses in 2008 and Dan wasn't published then, but he, he didn't give up. And so I think that's another lesson for people who are, um, who want to write is just because somebody, your friend takes off, like don't give up. Like, and, and Dan has done very well for himself too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dan has, Dan has done a tremendous job, especially in the foreign markets. And he's, He's not really well known here in the United States, but if you went back to Germany or England or France, you know, they know who Dan Wells is. Yeah. And, and so he's, he's done fantastic. This has been fantastic, but can you tell, um, tell people about your apex writing group? I think, I think it's a fantastic way for people that want to be a, uh, an author to, to join. Sure. Yeah. The apex writing group, I, I kept looking at what does it take to train a writer and, uh, you know, I put together all of my writing classes and I said, if you come into my apex writing group, first of all, you get all my writing classes for free. Okay. Uh, and, and I just wanted to have that as a background and a library for people to, to get in through and get into and take. But then what I do is I also bring in special guests. For example, tonight I have Tim Powers who will be on. Um, and I, I've had Terry Brooks and Orson Scott card and uh, a number of authors um, and what I do is I bring them in and, and have guests speak every week, uh, editors, agents, um, movie producers. I had the head of uh, Lionsgate Entertainment, uh, their television department on a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. And what we do is I try to get as much educational value as I can through that. But then beyond that, there's, there's the writing. I have people uh, who are in accountability groups. They do daily um, uh, they, they do daily sprints where they write together. 
during the day. Uh, they can do critique sessions with each other. They exchange information about the markets and, and that kind of thing. And the idea was um, I wanted to put together the world's best writing group. I kept thinking, wouldn't it have been great to be in uh, Tolkien's uh, writing group back in the 1950s or something like that? And I kept thinking, you know, we could do that. We could unite the best writers in the world. And I know, I know writers in New Zealand. One guy is a, that I know is a shepherd in New Zealand, a uh, fantastic writer, uh, but he doesn't know any other writers, period. And I just wanted to create a, a group where people could get together and do that. So we've got, uh, we're creating a pretty international group, I guess. We've got writers from, from uh, Italy and France and Germany and uh, uh, India and uh, the United States and, you know, and this kind of thing and really creating a, a kind of an interesting group. So it, it does cost money. Um, it, it doesn't cost a lot, but we charge a couple hundred dollars a year. Uh, with the idea being that um, it, it does cost money just to do this kind of thing because uh, the uh, setting up the internet uh, access for everybody and, and the classes uh, ends up costing quite a bit. But the, the whole point of this is um, trying to really serve the writing community as well as we can with it. And so this has been a, a, big, uh, a big push for me for the last year and I think will be for this year too. <laughs> Well, and if anybody's sitting on the fence about the, the couple hundred dollars, um, he just told a story about Brandon putting down $500 basically for, to go to New York. This is, this is your, your convention, basically, like this is your networking spot and you have access to, to, to Dave and many others to, to help you on your journey. So don't Absolutely. hesitate. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, yeah, so we're, we're celebrating, we just celebrated our first anniversary and, uh, uh, hopefully there will be many more. Perfect. Um, go ahead and tell people how they can reach you and oh yeah, how they can find that's, you. That's a great idea. I didn't even tell you the the yes. Uh, go to www.apex-writers.com. Okay, so uh, hyphen writers.com. Uh, that would get you to Apex. If you want to get onto my classes. Uh, we have a bundle where you can get all of my writing classes for 200 bucks. Uh, and that's at uh, mystorydoctor at gmail.com. Actually, if you just go to mystorydoctor.com, you can go ahead and sign up for that. And you can find out about anything else. You can also get, uh, I, I give out writing tips a couple of times a week for free. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, it's basically anything that I have coming out, you'll hear announcements on that if you get the writing tips. And I have been a subscriber of those writing tips for over a decade and they're fantastic. So I, I yeah. plug for that. Coming so, up on 14 years now. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying yes and, and getting on this. It's been a, a wonderful time talking with you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Troy podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.